0: This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Footstars. Footstars are an Aberdeen-based football coaching company with a particular focus on developing the next generation of young talent from the northeast of Scotland. Specialising in the ages between two and seven, Footstars provide an introduction to football in a fun, educational and fitness-focused environment. With classes running at six venues throughout the city, from Banks of D to Peter Cooter, seven days a week, we're sure you'll be able to find a class that fits your busy family schedule. Footstars even offer free trials with no commitment. That's right, nothing. Please contact Murray at footstars at yahoo.co.uk to sign your kids up for their first steps in the world of football and to join the Footstars family. That's footstars at yahoo.co.uk. Back in the net. We've got of foot there. Pukushita! Hello and welcome along to this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and sitting alongside me on the bench are my co-managers, Graham Steele and Gavin Baxter. How are we doing, guys? Very well, thanks.
1: We're a few days removed from the first leg with Hecken, and I can positively say that I am still basking in the glory of J. Emmanuel Thomas. Or as, I've always affectionately referred to him as, Jet.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I mean... We're going to get onto that in a second. But first of all, it would be remiss of us not to um, acknowledge this. We want to thank everybody who listened to episode one of the show and for the really positive feedback that we've received to it. Yes, I know for some people it was a little bit too long. Take the dog for a walk, put it up, put it down, whatever. You can't cut a minute of the Graham Hunter stuff out of that podcast. But listen, in all seriousness... The general success and the listen numbers we've seen for the first episode have been amazing. So we thank you all for that and we hope you're going to continue to join us throughout the course of this season and beyond. So on this week's show, we're going to take a look back at the intoxicating qualifying round two first leg tie against BK Hecken from Thursday night. A look ahead at the reverse fixture in Gothenburg coming up on Thursday night, and we're going to preview our SPFL Premiership opener against Dundee United. And finally, we've got an exclusive interview with former Don's player turned novelist, the one and only Arild Stavrum. So yeah, let's take a look back. Aberdeen five, and Hecken one, 22nd of July, Pittodrie Stadium, Europa Conference League qualifying round two, first leg tie. So much to unpack. From the match on Thursday night. And I guess we have to start by way of disclosure. Graham was on holiday last week, hasn't seen the match, has seen four out of the five goals. So Graham's contributions to this part of the show are going to be, well, something along the lines of a Gary McDonald, it's probably fair to say. That may or may not
2: sum up my contributions to future podcasts
0: as well. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, before we even get to the action, I think there has to be a moment just to reflect on how much it meant personally for myself to be back in Pataudry. Um Gavin, unfortunately, you had to you had to watch the match on on a stream, but I was fortunate enough to to take a seat in the south stand and just incredible to be back in the stadium. It's unbelievable how much you miss something that you feel you could never really miss that much. I'm not ashamed to say it. It, it did get a little bit emotional coming with Broadhill and seeing the stadium and 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 I think I speak for everybody that was there on on Thursday night that it was just a truly incredible time to be back at the stadium and fair play to the club they've had to work with the restrictions that they've got in place and i know that people will agree or disagree with some of the measures that have to be in place but i think all things considered it was a success Um, and and full kudos to the club on that and and fingers crossed we can get similar numbers in against dundee united um on sunday and then moving forward back to back to full house going forward again so yeah, I mean, I guess turning to the match itself, there's just so much to unpack from the evening that, that unfolded in front of us. I mean, I think the biggest talking point pre-match, and this goes for for ourselves and our other friend who are in, in our little Aberdeen group on WhatsApp, that you know the biggest talking point pre-match was probably the inclusion of Funzo King-Ojo in the starting lineup. I'm going to give him this full title because it's magnificent and he should use it. In retrospect, maybe not that surprising a move when you could see the number of minutes that he actually appeared to have got in the two pre-season games that we had prior to the match.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. He's not someone I would have considered for starting a match based on the way last season went, obviously with him, him being loaned out. Um, but then you look at who he's used in pre-season and then maybe should have spelt out to me, actually, maybe the way the, the manager's going. You know, it was Obviously, we didn't have that many games and obviously we weren't able to watch them. So it was kind of difficult to really get a feel for who's playing in what position and who's likely to start uh, or who was likely to start that match. Um, but from a personal point of view, I think it's good to see guys getting a, a clean slate. You know, they're they're under contract, they're here. Uh, it makes sense to see what you can do with them. And if this, you know, sort of highlights that um, they've got new ideas and the players are embracing that, you know, there's a guy that was loaned out, obviously didn't fit the previous manager's plans. Um, it's quite good to see these guys uh, get a chance to to maybe show what they actually can do.
1: You could tell from the glass interview afterwards where he talked about Ojo's ability to take direction or understand what they were asking of him in a variety of roles. So, I mean, I think we've just got to say full credit to the guy. Um, I think people were very sceptical when they saw his name. I thought maybe Graham Hunter was giving us a little clue that McGee could be a big player and he might start. But yeah, I mean, Ojo took his chance. What more can you say?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when you were outside the ground and you started to see the, the team lines coming through, I think when people were seeing Ojo along with Brown and Ferguson in the same lineup, you know, wigging into other people's conversations as well, it was clear that a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads about what sort of lineup, what sort of system we were going to see. From my perspective in the ground, and I don't know, Gavin, if you if you felt the same watching the stream, but to me it looked like a kind of four-one-three-two formation to begin with, with Brown sitting in front of the back four, Ojo playing you know in a old-fashioned inside left sort of position hedges on the other side on the right ferguson sitting centrally and then with it certainly in the first half i felt anyway that jet and ramirez looked like a two jet was dropping deeper into the hole sometimes so sometimes we ended up playing like a lopsided four-one-four-one because when jet dropped deep hedges certainly hugged the wing a lot more but it was an interesting setup i don't know if gav if you felt it was the same sort of setup watching on the stream
1: yeah, especially in the first half. I feel like in the second half, things became a little bit more fluid in terms of positioning. I think that maybe just illustrated our control of the game. But um, yeah, again, when I saw Ojo in that sort of more advanced role, you think to yourself, well, this is a guy that was signed to play in a deep sitting role. Maybe we found out that The problem was he was getting played in the wrong position. Maybe the previous manager saw this as being his role and it simply wasn't.
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think when Ojo, in fairness to McInnes, I think when Ojo signed, the the, the deep holding midfield player set a midfielder role, sorry, is is where Ojo's career has been. So I think that is where his career has predominantly played out but um yeah absolutely i think he, he came in did a, did a fantastic job i think before we start looking at individual performances i think that some credit has to go to the manager and the coaching team in terms of the way that we set up i think it was on the outside a little bit unorthodox but the system was clearly designed to, to look at what bk Hecken are good at doing breaking at pace in numbers and making sure we close that off while still being able to play very much to our strength
3: yeah
1: totally agree and Without wanting to overstate this, or I could be exaggerating, but I can't really remember us playing a sort of aimless long ball. And I mean, how refreshing was that? I can think of hitting smart diagonals to Jet peeling off onto the hecking left back. But, you know, everything we did felt like it had a purpose. And that's a hugely encouraging sign.
0: Absolutely, completely. And just touching back on the manager really quickly, listening to Stephen Glass in his post-match interviews... Gavin, you touched on it a minute ago, he made it clear that ogil was included in the team on the basis of his ability through pre-season to listen to what the coaching team are looking for in a particular role and adapting to it as quickly as he can. And Glass also kind of made a comment around the fact that we're going to take each game as it comes this season and we'll select systems and players that will give us the best chance to get a result against a particular opponent on a given day rather than rigidly sticking with a formation and a starting 11 if they're all fit no matter what and i think that is a striking contrast to the previous incumbent at uh, at Bittaudry. and i'm hoping that that continues through the rest of the season so so i guess turning to the match itself it wasn't all you know fantastic the first 10 or 15 minutes were were pretty frantic and they probably validated i think everyone's concerns ourselves included last week, about this tie. Um, Hecking got themselves on the ball. They showed they had a level of march sharpness. They showed they had some physicality. There was some pace about them. They got into some pretty dangerous positions in those first 15 minutes without necessarily ever really threatening Joe Lewis. There's maybe an argument that Andy collins is lucky to escape with a, only a yellow card when he pulled back Ali Youssef as he, as he broke through a goal. From, from my spot in the south stand, I thought that Youssef had knocked the ball a bit far out of his feet and Lewis is probably covering that but
1: Yes Graham you, you heard Gary right Andy Constein pulled someone back
2: yeah, It's a good job I'm sitting down when I do
0: these That first 15 minutes it, it, it did look a bit ropey but from that 15 minute mark onwards it was like a switch went off and we completely took the game by the scruff of the neck and for the remaining 75 minutes bar a five minute spell around the time the heck can score it was a bit as good as anyone could have expected
1: Well, I think I think it exceeded everyone's expectations I think I don't think we were the only ones that were nervous about this tie We've spoken with the Hecken guys since since the game and I think they've possibly mentioned their idea that this illustrated the difference in quality between the Swedish league and the Scottish league. I don't think that's the case. I think Hecken are a team that have got a lot of quality in it. The simple fact is they couldn't handle our pressing. They couldn't handle the pace we are moving at and the fluidity of our play. And as you say, all the credit world has to go to both the management and the players because... That did not look to me like a team that had only been together for two preseason matches.
0: No, not at all. I think the, th- the thing that really impressed me was, was our absolute relentlessness at searching out more goals. We need to stop harking back to the previous manager soon, but I think it's still close enough that we can do it. I think if we go 2-0 up, as we do on Thursday night, just before half time, I think that game management kicks in. And that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes, but... There was a real relentlessness about us on on Thursday night to keep going at Hecken. In particular, the final 30, 35 minutes of the first half was just devastating to watch. It's about as good an attacking performance as I can remember from an Aberdeen team. And, and the Swedish guys just had, had no answer to it.
1: Do you think the relentlessness that we played with in terms of, as you say, seeking out more goals reflects the decision to scrap the away goal rule?
0: Definitely an element of that, I'd, I'd imagine. Maybe as well, because we were wary about the fact that we might tire... So you want to get goals on, you know, goals on the board, so that if they do start to come back into the game, that that you've got something in reserve, um, and maybe it's part of this philosophy. You know, I'm using inverted commas here. It maybe is a, a first sign of the fact that we're going to look to play this attacking brand of football going forward.
2: I think it's really interesting to see that um, that's actually what we did. Obviously, the three of us, and should anyone choose to listen to episode two, is bound to agree with me. Where over the seasons we've looked good against teams. And like you say, got a goal or two, and you think that team is there for the taking, you know, we're we're looking at four or five here if we want it. And we don't in the second half, you know, it's nil-nil, second half, and we all come out of the same and went, ugh, that was a bit flat. We should have given them a bit of a pasting. It's really quite encouraging to see, albeit one game in, that we've got a couple of goals up and we're not thinking, oh, right, now what do we do? We're just thinking, well, two-nil up, why can't it be three? Why can't it be four? Um now that might come back to bite us. Over the course of a season But I think if you're If you're going into games With that attitude It's going to make life Trickier for the opposition Than we've maybe Made it previously
0: Yeah absolutely I think um, The the bit that I was Almost most impressed And and, and most happy about On Thursday night Was I felt that BK Hecken Turned up And played in a way That I think most teams out with Probably Rangers and Celtic Will come to Patology And try and play They'll set up To hit us on the break Be quite physical Maybe try and be a bit niggly Try and disrupt the game something we've all we've struggled big time with in the last few seasons for me you know this is was, this wasn't uh an out of the ordinary type performance by by this team this is a, a performance from a team that i think we can expect to see from other teams will play regularly this season and it, it was really good to see that we were able to break them down overcome that and as you say just keep going at them
2: yeah i think if we can break down a team that has turned up with the remit to not to be broken down, that's really quite uh, exciting for the rest of the season. There's so many games where you know, you, you're going into the league game and you just know how they're going to set up and you know we're going to struggle. If we can actually maybe take some of that away, um, it's going to be quite an exciting season.
1: Especially if we just continue to make use of the movement and the ability with the ball at the feet of the likes of Jet and edges and Lewis Ferguson, you know, I mean... As Gary said, we will stop harking back to this, but we're going to have a lot better luck at um, breaking teams down doing that than shelling the ball for Curtis May. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, Yeah, and a lot more enjoyment over the course of a season doing that. So, I mean, looking at individual performances, in the starting 11, there were Aberdeen debuts for for Scott Brown, for uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas... And for Christian Ramirez, how did we think they did?
1: So can I surprise you? I now like Scott Brown. I thought he was, I thought Scott Brown was amazing. I think you were watching him quite closely when you were in the ground and you kept texting me about the kind of leadership he was showing. Some little moments, maybe when he scored a goal or if something maybe gone wrong, he was always talking to the likes of Ramsey, um, McCrory, Ferguson. And his overall play in general, with the ball at the feet, protecting the back line, it feels like it's a sign that we've been waiting for for a long time. and I mean, what a way to win over any sceptics.
0: Yeah, I think one slack pass aside in the opening 5-10 minutes, I thought Scott Brown was was superb. Um, as you say, anyone that doubts whether or not he can still do it or not, I think a lot of that should have dissipated after the game on Thursday night. Now, whether he can do it at that level for 36-40 games a season, that maybe still has to be seen. But I think... <laughs> all the niggly little things that we always hated Scott Brown for when he was at Celtic you suddenly watch and you appreciate just how good he is at at those little niggly things being streetwise watching 50-50 challenges with with heckin players you know when the balls in the air he's not really watching the ball a lot of the time he's watching the heckin player He's positioning his body in a way that makes it very difficult for these guys to get to the ball. with a little nudge in the back, you know, the small of the back, put them off, barking instructions at the team from the first minute of the game. A real performance of intent, I thought, from Scott Brown. And I think this is something that wouldn't have been shown on the live stream, but just before the second half kicked off, he came over to Calvin Ramsey and just had a wee chat in his ear. And you, you could see, and I'm not exaggerating it, you could see Calvin Ramsey, his shoulders went back, his chest went out. He took a big, deep breath and he was like, right, let's go. It just gave the, the kids so much confidence. And if nothing else, that type of mentality, that attitude with our young players, is going to they're going to benefit so much from that. So as far as Aberdeen debuts go, uh, a pretty stellar one from Scott Brown, it's fair to say.
1: And uh, It's something um, Graham Hunter uh, picked up on last week, drawing the parallel between Scott Brown and, as you say, the kind of things that if you're an opposition fan, you hate, but if he's your player, you love. And Graham Hunter do the parallel between him and Willie Miller. And there was a couple of times when Heck and players were clearly getting frustrated and they'd have like little kickouts or like try to maybe like do like a niggly foul And someone on Twitter pointed out that Scott Brown, every time they did something like this, would just have like a little word in the ear of the referee, just to remind him what's just happened, and you know, you've got your card in your pocket. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So um second debut taunt for the evening, Jet. woohoo what do we think about your attempted singing?
1: <laughs> Love him more than the singing. Absolutely phenomenal. I will run out of superlatives very quickly if I keep trying to talk about Jet. So <laughs> I'm just going to say, what a debut. How much does it cost to get a Jet on the back of your shirt?
0: I don't think it's by the letter anymore, so you should be all right. Sweet. On the whole, his performance was excellent. Tired, it's fair to say, for the last third of the game, I think, where he, he started to play almost centre midfield for a period of time. I suspect Jet might divide opinion as the season goes on um there was already a few murmurs around me about how he was being quite lazy in the second half etc but i think if he can continue to do what he did on thursday night with the ball at his feet we'll quickly you know forgive maybe a lack of um a lack of pressing in the last 20-30 minutes of a game i thought again as you say gav for for a debut phenomenal strong in the ball amazing feet and i know it's a cliche thing you know great feat for a big man, but honestly, some of the moments in that game where he, he had the ball down and he just waltzed between heck and players and you could see them almost looking like, where the fuck did he go? How did he do that? Like, he's not exactly easy to miss. I thought he was excellent and I thought that both he and Christian Ramirez linked together fantastically, considering they've only been teammates for, what, two or three weeks?
1: Yeah, if that. Happens.
0: They looked like a... There's, there's obviously still work in progress, but they looked like a proper... A forward, uh, a forward duo that we can be excited about. I think as the season goes on.
1: And I guess that brings us on to yeah, number nine, Christian Ramirez. Uh, what did you make of his performance in the stadium?
0: Thought it was great. Thought, um, thought his work ethic was fantastic. What I think we were told we would get out of him. Likes a little flick here and there, but most of them came off. So you're going to get away with that. Made some good runs. Linked up well with 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 Jet. Got himself about. When Jet went up for headers, it felt like he was leading the headers and that's something we've missed for a long, long time at Aberdeen. Poachers finish, you know, in the six-yard box for a tap-in. What more do you want out of, a, out of a striker on your debut?
1: What was the what's the song again?
0: He wears number nine, he scores all the time, Christian Ramirez.
1: I'm having it, I'm having it. Um, yeah, someone drew a comparison. As I said, his goal is a real poacher's goal. It's something that some strikers wouldn't dare dive in for, just assuming that either the ball will go in or might go wide A parallel there With Adam Rooney. I think we've Lacked a poacher Since uh, since Adam left
0: Yeah and I think as well Between Jet and Ramirez Their enthusiasm As well Was was great Great to watch Both of them Clearly just You know Dead chuffed to be Playing Playing off the crowd try to lift the crowd Yeah great stuff
1: Jet and Ramirez They do seem like Great lads to have In the changing room
0: Well there was something This week I think Ramirez Was trying to get a copy Of the European song Getting blaring it In the dressing room So for that alone so looking down, I guess, the rest of the performances as well, I thought that um, Ross McCrory did well at centre-half. Jeremy Jeff is a handful, big lad, decent amount of pace about him, takes the ball on the feet well, and I, I thought that both McCrory and uh, Constantine did pretty well to marshal him. Jury maybe still out a little bit on whether McCrory is really a centre-half, but I thought this was a promising performance, and maybe we've all been talking about how we felt we were a little bit light in the centre-half area, maybe actually that solution has been in the squad the whole time and we just didn't really consider it
1: yeah i'll be interested to see what happens when dick and gallagher comes in presumably he will slot into that right center back role
0: lewis ferguson thought was exceptional on the night he's easily added at least a few more million to his price tag i, I know that we were uh tweeting the at watford account on a thursday night advising that it's at least 15 million now but that was a great performance. And if he can, can he keep putting performances like that in while he's here, he'll get a move that he, he that he desires sooner rather than later. Funzo, we've kind of talked about him briefly. I thought he did really well, considering it's a role that he can't have played in much before. He got up into the heck of a box a couple of times. He probably should have scored actually in the first half. And I thought he did really well defensively, blocking off some counter-attacks, exactly what Stephen Glass was looking for him to do. So full marks for the king on that one. I think special mention for me. Calvin Ramsey, I thought he was superb all evening. Linked well with Ryan Hedges, looked a real threat going forward. Delivery from open play and from corners was was superb. Did well defensively, although I felt that most of the hecking threat probably came down the other channel. An excellent performance. Futures futures bright for that kid and the sky's the limit based on that performance there. On the right flag, I mean I think it was actually quite a quiet match for Ryan Hedges. Linked up well, was was tidy, I thought. In what he did But um, obviously won the penalty kick But for me it's actually a massive positive That we can rack up five goals I think we had over 20 shots on Either shots on goal or shots on target I can't remember When arguably our most creative player in Hedges Didn't really have a particularly sparkling match
1: Yeah we, we talked about this last week And I think it's very fair to say That we'd lost any sense of our attacking threat Last season when Hedges was injured And obviously Scott Wright departed for 17 like you say, I take it as a really good sign. I think he played well. I think he linked up uh, with Jet and Ramirez and Lewis and pretty well. And as you've said, Calvin Ramsey too. I guess Ryan Hedges, he's still playing his way back into fitness. I think we'll see a lot more. I think he's going to be a guy that Stephen Glass is going to make real use of. Um, you can still see the flair and the quality that exists from the balls at his feet. So, yeah, I think he can be happy with his performance that night.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think... We also saw debuts off the bench from uh, Teddy Jenks and, and Jack Gurr. I think both of them were on. I mean, Jenks was on the pitch for about 30 seconds. Jack Gurr for, I think, 10. Probably too little time, really, to see what they can do. Jack Gurr seemed to have a pretty decent burst of pace up the right-hand side, but wasn't really on the ball a huge amount. Uh, I thought Jack McKenzie looked pretty assured when he came on, and he obviously set up the Ramirez goal. And that's a real boon, I think, for the for the youth setup again that we had both McKen- McKenzie and Ramsey. On the pitch together For about 10 minutes Before Ramsey went off But to have Both your fullbacks On the pitch Having come through The youth setup, is a Is a real positive sign
1: Yeah It's a statement And the belief In the youth That the club Are going to embrace now
0: Conor McLennan Another one of our youth graduates Obviously he's been around The first team For a, a little while Now I thought he looked Pretty bright When he came on And he, he rounded things off With a I would have said A fine finish But when you watch it Back again That goalkeeper
1: I think Christopher said He was one of their best players
0: yeah, I messaged Christopher after the game, and I was like, I wasn't trying to be too patronising, but I was like, I thought you said your keeper was good,
3: because <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: <laughs> he did not have a good like at all. To be fair, I mean,
0: no, he really didn't. He threw a few in, I thought almost.
1: Well, if you watch the um, the corner, the goal from the corner from like a camera, I think it's on like, the corner flag on the main stand side. You just see him; he just goes under the ball. It's barkas esque.
0: Yeah, his attempt at saving Lewis Ferguson second is also confusing. I've never seen a goalkeeper try to save a ball with his knees before.
1: (laughs) Not from 30 yards, anyway.
0: (laughs) No, so I don't know. Um, A bit of an odd one, I thought. Um,
1: Yeah, but um, to mention Connor McLennan, I think this is a really big season for Connor. I know he signed a two-year deal, I think, last season. But as you say, he's been around the team for a while, never quite established himself. It feels like a lot of the tools are there. And again, maybe just needs a manager to believe in him and believe in the quality he has with the ball at his feet, making runs and behind the defence, rather than this maybe perhaps more physical element that I think McInnes maybe saw for Conor McLean. So what, what
0: can we take away from Thursday night? Did we all overrate Hecken going in?
1: I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, their form was good. If there's a lot of international experience in that team... Um, obviously, they were they were missing Martin, also, which I guess was probably a big blow to them. But otherwise, I think they played everyone that Christopher and Jonas mentioned. Yanomiev yeah, I mean, looked looked talented, but I just don't think they could handle the the pace we were playing at. Whether that's a reflection of how footballs played in Scandinavia versus Scotland, I don't know. All I'm taking away from it is that it was a great performance. They scored some great goals, and for me it just gives me a lot of reason to be positive about this season. Whereas before I was starting to wonder what kind of year are we in for here? You know?
0: Yeah. And I think to round off, I guess, looking back at the game on Thursday night, we all don't want to get too ahead of ourselves at all. It's, it's one match. We we were probably there what, two seasons ago with the uh, the home match against Shakura, where, you know, we probably all came away from that thinking John Gallagher looked like a bit of a player. Um, we played well that night and you come away thinking... Ah, uh, we've got a real chance this season and it very quickly went, you know, the wheels came off very quickly off off the back of that. But I mean, for me personally, um, without wanting to get too over dramatic about it, I, I I genuinely felt that Thursday night was almost a bit of a rebirth for the club. Um and and maybe, just maybe, the the whole pandemic thing has might work out well for Aberdeen Football Club. Um, putting the financial piece to the side. And and the reason I say that is that if there had been people in the stands watching the dying embers of McInnes ball over the course of the twenty twenty one season. I think that could have turned the entire atmosphere of the club into a pretty toxic one. And I think it could well have driven more people away from the club. And instead those 12 months were played in a vacuum. And while we were all frustrated and dismayed by how things were panning out, it felt, I don't know about you guys, but it felt to me different. I became desensitized to the whole thing. Um, certainly towards the back end of last season, I got to a point where I didn't really give a shit that much what was happening. We were not in any danger of being relegated. We weren't going to win any of the Cups. We weren't going to finish any higher than fourth. We weren't going to finish any lower than fourth. My interest you know, waned significantly. And when you're not on the ground and you can't vent it, it probably provided sufficient distance between the club and the support that the atmosphere around the club didn't turn completely. And at the same time, when they made the decision to get rid of Derek McInnes, it gave Stephen Glass a number of games to get himself into the role, to assess the squad, to let maybe some of the, the questioning. And I think that questioning still sits there about Glass's appointment. Um, but without him having the pressure of having fans in the ground for those last six games what it was, it probably, it bought Stephen Glass time. And you fast forward back to Thursday night, people are so desperate to get back in the ground. They're so desperate to see any sign of progress that it brings this sense of euphoria out amongst the support. I don't think I've seen Aberdeen Twitter as buoyant as I did on Thursday night into Friday. It was, a, it was actually a glorious place to be for a little while. And it has brought back, in my mind, you guys might disagree, but it brought back for me a feel-good factor that's been missing for the last three seasons. It's a feel-good factor that the club, all of it, needs to capitalise on now. Because I think for those people who were starting to drift out of love with our club, Thursday night was a reaffirmation. It was a renewal of vows that so many people were desperately in need of in its early days, and let's not get ahead of ourselves. But if this is going to be the advent of things to come, under Stephen Glass, then we're in for a hell of a journey this season. So that's a look back. Now, obviously, we've got a busy week ahead. Leg two coming up in Gothenburg this week. What do we expect? What do we expect?
2: So, what I'm expecting is based on what we've had. The first game is I'm um, I'm expecting Aberdeen to come out and actually sort of treat it as a first leg, effectively. You know, go out there and actually play some football with a view to taking the game to Heckin um, and actually try to win that game of football rather than resting on the fact that we've got a decent cushion going into the game um, and maybe and rather try to see it out, I'm expecting us to actually go and try and play some football, which will obviously give heckin' something to think about. Um, I know sort of looking around um, Twitter and you, you're chatting with the guys, there's talk of them being quite excited about getting us onto the three G the 3G pitch, but... I'm not so sure that's really going to fundamentally change how we can play the game. Um, you know, We're practising or we're training on decent pitches at Cormac Park now, for example. I think they've got a mixture of real and synthetic. Obviously, there are plastic pitches in Scotland um, and the UK in general, so it's not like we're playing on a surface that no-one's played on. So I'm not too sure that's really going to influence how we play. Um, I really just hope we go out and... Try and treat it nil nil. Go and play some football. If you get another couple of goals up, um, and, and just see
1: it out. And as I said earlier, you no, know, the away goal rule being scrapped. This is it takes away that kind of nervousnessness from the game. We know that we have a four goal cushion. That's no questions asked. But um, yeah, for me, game management. Make sure we win the tie. Don't concede any early goals to give them any kind of confidence boost whatsoever, and make it through the tie unscathed, and then. On to Austria or
0: Iceland. Yeah, I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head a bit, I guess, there I think the, there's been a lot of talk out of Sweden, I think, that they want to get us on the 3G pitch. I think that's overlooking the fact that our record on 3G pitches is pretty good over the last few seasons. In Europe, we've got a 100% record on a on a plastic pitch, um, two wins out of two. So, you know, I don't think it's as big an advantage as the Swedes think it's going to be. My only concern is, I think, that we saw on Thursday night that Heckin showed they like to the tackle they can be physical I think we need to try and keep it tight for the first 20-30 minutes not give them any encouragement that they can get back into the game and try to escape without any without any injuries just go over there and do a professional job and, and get ourselves into the next round
1: I think as well by us having the lead it takes away the strengths that heck can have I think we've seen that pace and counter attacks are where they're best best placed I'm assuming Declan Gallagher will come in for his debut he's got a job in his hands Marshall and Yeremyev um, I don't know if Martin Olsen's going to make it back, but let's be fair, we're clearly the team in a much more favourable position than than Hecken would be right now.
0: I noticed last night, I think Hecken drew 1 1 over the weekend as well. So, you know, their form's hit a little bit. I think Ali Youssef, who I thought looked a pretty handy player, I think he's out for the rest of the season. He's done his cruise shit, I think. Um, I know we keep on saying we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but fuck it, let's do it. Qualifying round three, it's looking quite finely balanced at the moment between Austria, Vienna, and uh, Breider so Vienna, not in good form. They opened up their Bundesliga campaign at the weekend with a 2-1 defeat at uh, Ried. Um Breida Bleeker sitting third in the Urvals de Lied, but they suffered a 2-0 defeat at Keflavik, who were in eight, eighth place yesterday. So on the face of it, potentially a real opportunity for us to make our, our way into qualifying round four here.
1: Yeah, so that game ended 1-1 in Austria, didn't it? Yeah. So the away goal rule being gone, it's now just a straight-up game. In Iceland, you know, winner goes through. I mean... We'll just wait and see. It's that thing, I guess. You know, it's kind of a cliche. There's no easy games in Europe anymore. You would to look at that and maybe think Austria-Vienna will, well, this will be a walkover for them. Clearly not the case. So we can be assured that either way, it's going to be a tough time for Aberdeen.
2: Yeah, I think it's, although it's nice to be sitting here after the first match, 5-1 up. So I realise this might come back and bite me. a degree of confidence that we can actually be looking ahead to the, you know, their return leg um, in Iceland and it might actually be meaningful for us
1: do you think there's anyone in the heck in dressing room pulling a Drew Jarby right now? Ah, there's got to be three quick three quick goals and we're right back in it
0: there, there's bound to be I mean you're not going to be footballers if you don't feel that you know you can go out there and get a couple of goals and put the fear of God into this but yeah I mean I think all things been equal we put that tied to bed the qualifying round three draw at the moment is probably about as favourable a draw as we could have hoped for compared to our recent qualifying round three draws we've had I think either of those teams look beatable and gives us an opportunity to make the playoff round, if nothing else. Yeah, agreed. So as we said, busy week ahead, not just the return pilgrimage to Gothenburg that we all miss out on on Thursday night. We open up our cinch, bloody hell, SPFL Premiership campaign at home to Dundee United.
2: All I'm saying is I'm not calling it cinch unless after this first episode they give me money. What are we thinking?
1: Are you familiar with... The story Roy Keane tells about Alex Ferguson about how when they were Man United, sometimes they get like really annoyed in the changing room when Ferguson would come in and do the team talks and highlight how dangerous the opposition are because the Roy Keane and that they're obviously thinking we're Man United. Like, what? What more? What is there to be worried about? But one day Ferguson came in and they were playing Tottenham, and Ferguson came into the dressing room and simply said, "Lads, it's Spurs." <laughs> Stephen Glass, Jet. Everyone in the Aberdeen dressing room, it's Dundee United. Dundee United have have had a bit of a strange summer in the sense. It's been quite quiet in many ways, you know. um, The manager, Nicky Mellon, uh, left, returning to Tranmere Rovers. They've hired Tam Courts. I'd be lying if I said I knew much about him. Um, He's been working there as their head of tactical performance. I don't really know what that means, Sounds like the kind of job Ian Castro might have had at some point in his life, and we saw how that turned out. Most significant involvement in Scottish football, probably being the manager of Kelsey Hearts before Barry Ferguson took over. But yeah, not much to say about him as, in terms of a career, worked as caretaker for United in December of last year when Mel had to isolate due to COVID. They've had a good season in sense of they've won all four of their League Cup group stage games, but I think it's fair to say they'd be expected to win all four of those quite comfortably. Transfer wise, it's been a very, very quiet summer. Um, only two incomings, as far as I can see, being Trevor Carson, the um, former Motherwell goalkeeper, and uh, one Charlie Mulgrew, who all of us in red are are well familiar with and are all yes. and are all dreading when he takes a free kick.
0: Yes, Charlie Mulgrew, Slayer of Lafferty, Neglected of Child,
1: allegedly.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I feel that like there's maybe a little bit of a parallel between ourselves and United this season. They've also got a new manager. They've gone a bit outside of the box in terms of their thinking about who they've appointed. Like you say, Gav, it's hard to judge. Four wins out of four in the league group stages. You'd expect them to do that. No real significant players coming in. Um, I think the only player even worth talking about that's gone out is probably um, Paul McMullen,
1: who went to Dundee. But meh. Speculation continues regarding the keeper, Zgrist, and um, Lawrence Shackland, a name that we're equally well familiar with. And also, you know, they've still got Mark Reynolds, Peter Pollitt, so there's a lot of familiar faces for us. Let's let's be honest, in the Cup um, last season, they did a number on us, so I'm sure they're coming up here with a degree of confidence, but at the same time, it's a club that are clearly going through a change in management, a change in structure. I think... We can be pretty confident going into this game, having looked at their squad, it looks to me quite light. But um, they'll be they will be looking to build on what I think they would call a successful season last year. I assume they'll be pushing for the top six. And as you say, they've thought outside the box, so in that sense, credit to them.
0: Yeah, I guess one side up for United, they probably feel they've maybe got a bit of a, a an Indian sign over us um, from last season. Um, I can't remember exactly what our record was last year against them.
2: Uh, grim is the word you're looking for. Um, I think we had two nil-nil draws and we lost one nil in the league. And then obviously the cup match that you you referenced where we got scudded 3-0 at home. So I think we had three two points out of nine in the league and obviously out of the cup at home. Not a great record. Um, and just the, the cherry on the cake, we didn't even score against them.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I guess if you're in a United, you maybe think you're coming up here with a bit of confidence that you've kind of had a bit of a number on us, most of the same players from last season, but... I think it'd be interesting for United this season. A few Dundee United fans I know were not exactly pleased with the style of football that Mickey Mellon um, had them playing last season. I mean, I must admit, when I watched them, I thought they looked terrible to watch. They, you're right, they did a number on us in the Cup, which was probably the best I saw them play all year. It'd be interesting to see what the, the, new, the new guy brings. But yeah, it's an interesting opening fixture, I think.
2: Yeah, I think... Um... I mean, one thing we did touch about also their their new manager. And if you looked back at the commentary after the games, the general consensus among the fans seems to be that they were so defensive, which seemed to stifle Shankland. And obviously he'd banged in goals at a lower level, but he's still, you know, he's pretty handy at this level. Um and most people seem to be suggesting we're just not playing to his strengths so and we're not getting the chances. So it might be interesting to see if we if we get a reinvigorated Shankland on the 1st of August, you know if the teams would be set up to provide him with chances. That being said, looking at the the squads on paper, I feel like we've got more than enough to take the three points. And realistically, I know it's only the first game of the season, but I feel if you're actually going to accomplish something over the course of the league, home games, you need to be getting three points. Uh, and against Und United, I mean, I think we were 22 points ahead of them last season. You've got to be getting three points on the opening day of the season just to get you going.
1: I think, yeah, you're right there. That's important as well, just because, you know, we're all very happy with the result against Hekken, but it's kind of an unknown quantity. We know what we're up against for Dundee United. This could be like a real like a real marker for where we're going to be the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, the European games, don't get me wrong, they're excellent and you want to go as far as you can, but this is a known quantity. Um, we've got a benchmark based on the four games we played them last season. So, you know, scoring would be a plus. From last season, uh, three
0: points would be excellent. Yeah, and I think as well, you're right. You want to get your league campaign off to a good start, but also <clears throat> the fixture list this season I think is actually relatively has been relatively kind to us opening up. I think we've got a nice set of opening fixtures. He says, you know, I'll be back here in a couple of weeks' time bemoaning the fact we're three losses out of three. But they're they're not as harsh an opening set of fixtures as as we could have seen in previous years. So we should really try and you know, it's cliche, but get get points on the board and try and get the season up and running as quickly as we can. So predictions for Sunday?
2: I'm going 2-0 and I'm going for Jet and
0: Ramirez.
1: I am going to lose my pragmatist role right now and I'm going to say 5-0. <laughs> All goals scored by Jet.
0: Aberdeen 3, Dungeon United 1. Don't know whose core is, and I don't really care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> How fitting was it, by the way, that Andrew Considine scored the first goal at the total with fans back in the stadium? Uh, it
0: was great. Can't you can't make up stuff like that, can you?
1: What a boy! What a boy!
0: Of all the players to picked
2: uh, to have selected for that moment, I'm pretty sure he'd have come out uh, with a fair number of votes. So yeah, that was good to see, and I think that keeps up some ridiculous record he's got of
0: scoring consecutive seasons as well. He's scored in 14 separate seasons now and it's only him and Willie Miller on that number. So I think any time you're sitting alone
2: in a category with Willie Miller is something to be proud of.
0: So that wraps up the first half of this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. We're away for a halftime rubdown. Coming up here, Iona Fife and the Northern Lights. Join us after the break where we've got a chat with Arlo Stavrum. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Seafood Sourcing. Formed in 2016, Seafood Sourcing are Scotland's premier seafood exporter, delivering the finest quality in fish from sea to shelf in the fastest possible time. With supply from all main Scottish ports, including from Europe's largest fishing port at Peterhead, daily catches are filleted by Seafood Sourcing's high-skilled team at their facility in Fraserburgh, to transport on a fleet of modern refrigerated lorries providing deliveries to as far afield as Belgium and France within 12 hours. For all of your seafood supply needs, contact Seafood Sourcing on 01346 410 080 or by email on sales at seafoodsourcing.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ football podcast. hope you've managed to keep down your bovril and your pathology pie. Now, As we explained last week, we're looking to have a number of guest interview slots on this show going forward. Last week, we had the incredible Graham Hunter talk to us for the best part of two hours. This week, we've got a man who scored 29 goals in 67 appearances for Aberdeen between 1999 and 2001. He left Batology with two runners-up medals in both the Scottish Cup and the League Cup. It's Arald Stavroon. Okay, uh, good evening and welcome to Arald Stavroon. Welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast, Arald. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be invited on your show.
0: Not a problem, not a problem. And where are you tonight, Arald? Where are you based
4: now? I'm I'm at home. I've just been uh, traveling a bit in in Norway, of course. We cannot go anywhere. <laughs> but uh, I've just been a few different places on uh, small holidays and now I'm back in uh, in Oslo where I live.
0: Uh, back in Oslo. Good stuff. Excellent.
4: So, Arnold, we've had um, we've had a few questions come in from various
0: different people listening to the to the podcast as well so we'll we'll fire some of those questions in um during the course of, of the conversation like we spoke about i think we we'd really just want to have a chat through your your career and a bit of a focus on your time with aberdeen and, and pick your brains on on various aspects of your career so i guess we'll just take it through in a chronological order so obviously you were born in uh, christiansund and your career began with your local club uh, Klaus ningen is
4: that that's close, close enough. Not bad, close Good. enough. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. yeah. And then obviously started your professional career with uh, with with Bram Bergen, and then moved on from there uh, after a couple of years to to Molde, where I think it's fair to say you formed a a pretty potent partnership with uh, a certain Ole Bjorn Sungot and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, known as the Three S's.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So do you do you still keep in contact with Oli Gunnar these days, or? uh not not regularly we are uh but we are on good uh, terms and we're good friends so uh so i speak to him some now and then but uh yeah it's uh not not so uh, regular
0: it's it's fair to say he's probably got enough on his plate i imagine
4: he he has absolutely absolutely
0: but that's as much as we'll talk about english football that's it done no (laughs) no
4: just (laughs) keep firing what you want it's uh, it's no problem (laughs) so
0: Obviously, it was um, it was during that spell you had with Moda um, that I think you picked up your your, your two international caps for Norway, um, with a debut against Jamaica and then followed up against Trinidad and Tobago. So, I mean, just how big a moment was that for you and for your family when you when you made your international debut?
4: Yeah, it was it was big, and uh, I was uh, selected for. Uh, before this, I was selected for um, uh, a qualification game against the Netherlands in uh, for Euro what what yeah for Euro '96 and uh, and uh, unfortunately I didn't uh, play that time but it, that was the first time being called up for uh, for my country and all that it was a great uh, it was a great deal and uh, yeah I just felt it, it it's just something that's uh, Connected to just uh, pride and and pleasure and 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 all that to be selected for your country, so that was uh, that was a highlight, of course. So uh, your
0: time at Mola was unbelievable. I think forty five goals and seventy three appearances, something of 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 that ilk, which is an incredible return. Um, from there, I think you moved to Stabek in 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 nineteen ninety seven, and then after one season there, you made the move to to Sweden. And yep. uh, and joined up with Helsingborgs, where you finished up obviously the 1998 season as the top scorer in the scan, and and Helsingborgs obviously romped to the title um, the season after that. And just after obviously Helsingborgs win the league across the North Sea by by mid November 1999, things are pretty desperate for uh, for Aberdeen and for new manager Ebb Scovdal at the time, and you'll remember, obviously, the guys will certainly remember that by that point, Aberdeen had only won one game out of 13 league games, I think. They'd only scored 13 goals by that point, and six of those came in one game against Motherwell. On the 19th of November, Ebb decided to make probably his finest signing, I would say, during his spell in charge when he brought yourself to Pataudry. What was it that made you decide to, to move to Aberdeen? Because on the face of it, and you can you can tell me if I'm wrong. It seems like a terrible footballing move at the time, given Helsingborgs have just won the league. Aberdeen are in a terrible position in their league. You know, did did Eby have to do a lot to convince you to join?
4: It was it was a lot of things that happened there, and for the first thing was that although I was not that old, I was I was 26, turning 27 at that time. And you get to an age there where clubs are starting to, to lose a bit of interest. So uh, that was one reason that I didn't have that many offers also. Uh, and, and the other one was that I always I always wanted to go uh, abroad. I always wanted to play in, in Britain. That had, had been a dream for me since childhood. So uh, that was the main attraction with Aberdeen was that it it was in uh, in Britain. It was a club that I knew. I knew they were in big trouble, but also that Abby had um, had seen me play in Sweden. So he had seen me play uh, games there and, and knew my strengths and weaknesses. And and that is really underrated when you come to a new club that uh, that you know the manager, that he knows what you're capable of and and also what you're not capable of. So he. Uh, he was for me a really good choice as a manager because he he always tried to play to to my strength. I also had offers from uh, from uh, from Denmark and, and so on and, and and I wanted to try something completely different. And uh, because you can say that Scandinavia is is pretty much the same country to move to Sweden for, uh, for, for Norwegian and or move to Denmark. It's it's pretty much and historically has a lot of times been the same country. So it's. Uh, uh, it, it, it was to try something uh, completely new and, uh, and 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 it was basically Abbey who convinced me.
1: Arnold, was there any interest like, either in that time or before from other clubs in either Scotland or England and you just felt maybe this wasn't the right move?
4: No, it, it, I didn't have an offer. It was hundreds of clubs that was watching me play and being interested and, and all that, but it never materialised into offers from uh, from England before that. Uh, or from Britain before that. So, uh, but but it was, yeah, it was a lot of close calls always. There, but uh, but Aberdeen was the first really firm and uh, firm offer from Britain. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to maybe ask you about your your debut, if you can
2: remember. So you made your debut a couple of days after you had signed for Aberdeen um, away at St Johnston, and I was just wondering if you can remember much about that occasion.
4: It was a kind of game where you, I was thrown in, with without having trained that much with the guys, and I I, I didn't know the names of everyone in the team and and all. That. But this is this is like kind of professional football for you. You you never have the time to to plan these things really uh, uh, as good as they should be planned. So it was just like in there, play the game, and uh, I remember it was a tight, tough game. I almost uh, I almost scored, but I didn't score in that game.
1: Um, Arnold, like obviously Gary kind of alluded to, you came in during Eby's first season and he didn't really do much in the summer. I think we only signed David Priest and he was going to rely on the existing players. Obviously, we got off to a pretty bad start and he obviously went to Scandinavia to look for players. I think Keogunfait had joined a matter of weeks before, Thomas Solberg... Um, what was it like, just in terms of joining the club? What was the dressing room like in terms of welcoming you to the Aberdeen?
4: It was it was also kind of chaotic because I think uh, I think it was forty six players or something like that uh, there at the time. Uh, I uh, I got my jersey was number forty seven because also it was a lot of players there and uh, and obviously I, I don't think the club had been that good at putting together a, a score that was, uh, yeah, you had many players in the same positions and there was a lot of signings that they were not uh, happy with. So for me, it seems like Abby had uh, gotten the, the task of also getting a few players out because there we were that many. So uh, it, it, it must have been, a, it's difficult when you come in, when you have changed managers and Manages brought in their players and and it's it, it was just a lot of uh, different ideas there, not not one idea how to win a football game. I think so. It, it was a uh, kind of chaotic and uh, Abby he needed some time to to put his mark on things. But I I think he 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 started to get things uh, done uh, eventually there.
1: I think Russell Anderson may have spoken about this on another podcast. He mentioned that some days just busloads of trialists would come and just arrive and maybe yeah. was just looking everywhere at anyone
4: yeah yeah no it, it was so many players and uh, it it was difficult to to be sure of what what was happening i mean uh, if you remember if you remember players like ilian kiryakov you remember him yeah, yes he was <laughs> yeah 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 and he was like he was he wasn't training he was just eating lunch it was just such a, <laughs> it was just such a strange place and a lot of stuff like that was happening all the time so i uh, it it needed uh, some changes absolutely yeah
0: i think it's fair to say that every aberdeen fan of a certain age has a story about Ilyan kiryakov i think it's fair I to can't, say i,
4: I can imagine and he was he was to be fair a great player at some time but he had a, <laughs> he had retired without telling anybody I think. <laughs> um Harold, so
1: um obviously moving from Scandinavia to Scotland, I'm sure it's a bit of a culture shock for you. We've had a new striker come from America, Christian Ramirez, and he seems to have really like embraced the city and he wants to get involved in the culture and learn about it for yourself, like how did you find Aberdeen what Kind of advice would you give to any player making a move from another country?
4: Well, I, I, I loved it. I mean, um, the only problem I had was in the first couple of trainings. I was sitting by a couple of guys. I, I can't remember who who they were. There were a couple of guys there from uh, who didn't play that regularly, but they were from uh, from Glasgow, and they were speaking in a Glaswegian accent really quickly beside me, and I was thinking. I don't understand a word. <laughs> what are they saying? And then I needed to, yeah, needed to get into that banter and all that. Uh, how they spoke—it was a bit uh, different. And uh, and once that was done, I was—I I got a lot of friends, uh, friends uh, that were also living in Aberdeen uh, that were Scottish. So I think also that is a good thing when you move to a place to get to know people who is from the city and uh, and all that, and not just. The problem with football is, is that sometimes you get stuck together with yeah, for me, like if I get stuck together with only with the Norwegian guys and you have French players who only speak French in the dressing room and all that, it, it's a problem in, in a lot of football uh, clubs. So I I think it's important to for that new player then to obviously he speak English and all that, but to get to know people and get to know not just one or two, but try to involve with as many as possible.
1: Was that something you would try and encourage when you turned into a coach yourself, without like getting players from different kind of countries and speaking different languages, just, to try to integrate them. It
4: just it just came naturally. I think I, I it just I, I didn't plan any of it. I just learned from it that you need to need to interact with all the players because if. Yeah, say that me and Kato and Thomas, uh, the Norwegian, only spoke to each other. Then we would be like a clique inside the dressing room, and that's not that's not good. So you need to then involve everybody, and we uh, try to be friends and try to get to know people who work in the club and uh, and and all that. I mean, uh, uh, sit and talk to Teddy Scott, too, <laughs> who was a fantastic uh, character there, for example, like stuff like that. It's uh, it's, it's important to, to get to know a lot of
0: people. I think as well, Arnold, I mean, I, I think from my perspective, you always seem like somebody who embraced the city. You know, you, you took it for what it was. And I think as well, you know, I think you made a lot of close friends in your time in Aberdeen who were not connected to the football club, you know, out with the, the bubble of the football club. And I, I don't know how common that is sometimes with footballers these days to, to, to do that and, and look outside the bubble, so to speak.
4: No, I don't know, and it and it can be and can be challenging, and of course people are different. Some people are really introvert and don't like to uh, to do that. So it's it, it's I'm not saying it's right for everybody, but for me it was right to to get to know a lot of people and and do that. And when I played in totally different example, but when I played in Norway, I uh, always studied uh, at the side, so I went to university, and uh, and then you met. Then I met uh, totally different characters from what I met in the dressing room, and and I, I always enjoy that uh, side because uh, it can be a bit narrow-minded also to be a footballer. Of course, it can be, and uh, and uh, for me it was important to try to to learn from people, to expand views and all that. Sort of. So I I love that part of football, and it and it gives such a chance because. When you come in a dressing room then in Aberdeen, in it's guys from Brazil or Argentine or uh, France or and then Glaswegians and, and English. It's just so many different uh, uh, characters and nationalities. I know that Glaswegian isn't a different uh, nationality, but it felt like that. So
0: There's a lot of people in Scotland that would agree with you there as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know,
4: I know. I know, I'm not trying to be cheeky there, but I'm... Uh, but it was just uh, my first meeting with uh, the Scottish accent. Yeah,
0: your um, your first home game at, at Pottodry. Can you remember it?
4: No, absolutely not. I mean, it's it's just so strange these things. It's that so many games I don't remember in 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 the correct order and what I did in this game. But but you have to remind me. Yeah,
0: so it was a League Cup quarter final at home against Rangers under the lights. Um, Andy Dow scored a, a very late winner, about 115th minute or something, injury after extra time winner. Um, given you've just said you don't really remember much about it, this might be a redundant question, but that would have been your first taste of a, a pataudry atmosphere against Rangers or one of the two Glasgow teams. How did you find that atmosphere? Can you, can you remember?
4: No, I, I, I remember... I can't say exactly which game it was, but I remember the atmosphere quite a few times against Rangers, especially at uh, at Petaldri, where it was it was it was rough. It was really like, and 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 this was for me. It was for me also like a bit surprising because I I came from Norway with I, I had no feelings whatsoever towards. Rangers or Celtic or I I I mean I would be lying if I said that so I I had no 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 clue but during those games against Rangers I felt there was some really proper bad feelings between the two clubs and and you could feel it on the on the field also and uh, and between it was extra tough games and and I had played in tough games in Norway and Sweden also but I, I felt it was a bit different to, to especially against uh, against Rangers yeah
0: was that an atmosphere you kind of thrived to, to play in
4: yeah yeah i always um, I, I, I always loved uh, those parts of football those sides of football that that, that the games matters i mean uh, uh, i always loved playing in big games uh, I've uh, always in Norway and Sweden. A few of my best games has been in cup finals and uh, and in uh, like deciding games for league titles and all that. So I always loved when when it really matters, and uh, and I, I felt that when we were up against Rangers, up against Celtic, that uh, it was something different, and I, I love that absolutely. So you. Uh... You might feel
2: I'm picking on you a little bit here with a, another question, going back in time. But you maybe uh, you maybe will or you won't recall. um After that late League Cup match against Rangers, the following week was an excellent uh, a three-one victory um, at home to Hearts, where you grabbed your first goal. So I was just wondering, you know, what was that like? Did that start to settle you down a bit? You know, new new club, new country, but you get a goal relatively early on in your career.
4: It it was the same every year. It didn't matter if it was a new club or if it was a new country or whatever. The first goal every season was important, uh, and I think every striker will will um, recognize this: that you go a few games without goals, you get, yeah, you get a bit edgy, you get a bit, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a. And it, and it is a dangerous thing, or what I can say, it's a it's a difficult thing. If you, as a striker, go a long time without scoring, then you are going to lose your job. So that's the that's the fact with it. And and this is every season, and, and especially in the beginning of season, it's so important to get the first goal. So of course that was important for me. We
2: were uh, chatting just a moment ago, you know, about the dressing room and different nationalities. Um, particular player that uh, Ebi had brought in was Hisham Zerouali.
3: Yeah. He was
2: obviously quite quite popular with Aberdeen fans. Um, obviously brought in to bolster the, the attacking options. So i was just wondering what you remembered about him and what your first impressions
4: were of him. He was tremendously um, uh, talented, and uh, and he had he he did things in training and in games that surprised me i mean because uh, there's a lot of things when when i look at players is the okay this this is this is going to sound really strange but uh, i have to emphasize that i'm i'm not as i'm not as good and never has been as good as ronaldo but it's when i look at ronaldo i see things he's done that i did but in a lesser quality he's stronger faster and better at everything than i was but I can always, okay, I see what he's doing, but when I look at Messi, he's doing things that I can't imagine doing as a footballer. He's doing things that I wouldn't invent. It's just like it's a different mindset and a different way of playing football. And Hisham had some kind of that that he could do stuff with the ball and in a, in a situation that you think, what was that? And, and it was just like tremendous to to look at him, and uh, obviously it was uh, a tragedy that he was uh, taken away too early and all that. And uh, and uh, he he never got his full potential showed because he he could have been even better. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Don't be too hard on yourself, Harold. Cristiano Ronaldo's never scored a hat trick against United.
4: <laughs> no, he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't. But I, you, you, you see, it, it's important to emphasize that I, <laughs> I, I when I say that. But but it's like it's it, it is for me. It's two different kinds of players. And, uh...
0: and importantly, neither Messi or Ronaldo have uh, shaved their hair and sent it to Charlie Allen. So you're up on them there as well, mate.
4: Not to my knowledge, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Charlie still got it? I think he, he 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 said something about that. He wrote something about it that he had that he had auctioned it away. <laughs> it was something. It was some, or, or, or not auction, or that he he would give it away to the one who had the best idea of use of it or something like that. You have to ask him. I can't remember it uh, uh, properly. Yeah, that's definitely a question for for Charlie Allen if he's listening
0: to it. What did you do with Adolf Stavrom's <laughs> hair? There
4: we go. It was some kind of it was some kind of uh, competition or something here <laughs> I, I, I'm I, sorry, I can't remember. It's totally but. so. I guess you know the, the first season um,
0: that you had at Aberdeen was a, a pretty forgetful one in the league. Um, but obviously, we made it to both cup finals. And and Harold, you were instrumental in both of the semi-finals. You got the winning goal against Dundee United at Dens Park in the in the League Cup semi. And then you scored the uh, the equaliser in the Scottish Cup semi-final at Hamden, which was deserted. I think we could all remember. It was a, I think it was a Saturday 5.30 kickoff or something daft like that, or maybe a Sunday night um, before Andy Dow stuck in a winner later on about five minutes after you scored. And it's probably fair to say that those two goals alone, goals and semi-finals are always going to make you popular with the fans. But I think those two goals certainly helped elevate you into a kind of hero territory within the Aberdeen support at the time. Can you can you recall much about those two those two semifinals?
4: This is this is the problem I often have when I when I, when I think about the games I played and all that because I if I played well I can't remember the games really <laughs> and if I played bad I can remember them much better and I think this is I think this is, has something to do when when I play well I was totally into the game and. And focused and concentrated on that and and also that things are going a bit like automatically and this is so important when you play football and you try to do a shot for example you, you don't have the time to to think and analyze the the situation it has to go on instinct and on things that you have done thousands of times and it's always been like that and when i played my best games it's it's been so focused that I just blo- I can't remember much from from them. So those games are are a bit away from me. They, I have seen I have seen uh, the goals in uh, in later years, uh, especially against Hearts, I've seen that one. And uh, and but the game is away from me.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's totally in the zone and just yeah, it, yeah.
4: it is, and uh, it's it's really strange. It's it's really strange, and one I remember really well from the Cup final against um, Rangers was that when uh, Jim obviously got uh, injured there in the beginning of the game, I'm sure you're going to mention it, but but after that, I I had never been so focused in my life. I remember the next 15 minutes there, I was I was so angry that I w- would try to win this game. <laughs> Alone, I remember, and because of this difficult situation we had. And I I remember I was furious at that game, but it wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on
1: that note, when you you have a podcast about Aberdeen and you go back and interview players in the past, you get the joys of researching things like the Scottish Cup 2000 final. As you mentioned, Jim Leighton goes off injured after three minutes and for whatever reason at the time, you were only allowed three substitutes. So, yeah. Aberdeen and Rangers did the same. Both teams went without a goalkeeper. I think Jim Lane's talked about that later on, saying that was a mistake. But neither here nor there. Uh, Robbie Winters got given the gloves. Was there any chance of yourself getting them?
4: No, we we had spoken on, uh, on this before and it was Robbie that was uh, the most... Uh, well, comfortable to go in in a goal. Uh, no, I was never uh, asked, or uh, I didn't offer myself. I am I, a terrible goalie, so it was uh, it wouldn't change a thing. And uh, and uh, I, I see Jim's point there, but as as you also said, Rangers they went without uh, a second goalie as well. And of course, after the game, when when we know the facts and that Jim got injured, it it was a mistake. But it was a mistake that. It's easy to say in retrospect. I mean, uh, had I had I known everything as Abby before the game, the same situation, I would have done exactly the same. So um, it's uh, it's a point that it's difficult to to challenge in Milan, I think.
1: Yeah. So, Harold, when you see Jim going off um, injured and Robbie Winters goes in goal, you've kind of alluded to just how kind of angry it made you when you think about a game like that and I'm looking at the Rangers team that played that day and let's be fair, I mean, there's like Stefan Kloss, there's Kincelskis, um Barry Ferguson could play a little bit, I guess. Um, Giovanni van Bronckhorst, Albert's, you know, it's a quality team. As far as, as far as it goes to Rangers, that was the, probably the time they were getting the most value for the money they didn't actually have. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. In that moment, you know, how deflating is it? How much, how, it's just a real sinking feeling when you know as a team, as an Aberdeen team you've got to play as well as you possibly can and now you're in this major disadvantage of having a guy in goals who's not actually a goalkeeper.
4: Yeah, no, but but it, as, I, as I was starting to say, I, I remember that I got really angry and it was just a strange feeling because uh, of course I saw that Jim was carried away and was... Uh, Worried about him and stuff like that, but we had a game to to play, and I was so I was so focused on winning that game, and I I knew that we had, of course had big troubles when you say that they have a great team, and we we need to perform at our absolute best to 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 beat them. But the anger I felt, I felt like I was so irritated that they scored because I think if I was trying to, I mean, I've never been so motivated focused energized as i was in those next minute i remember it was uh, incredible
0: yeah i think i remember as one of my recollections from the game is that i think the first shot on goal after robbie goes in goals is actually by yourself you know you're expecting rangers are going to come out and try and pepper this guy with shots because it's a subkeeper who's not a goalkeeper and I'm pretty sure you're the first person to have a shot on goal.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I remember also that I tried to, to go through the whole defense by myself, just dribble everybody, and 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 I came quite far <laughs> one time there <laughs> because it was. And as I said, I'm I was playing with pure anger at that moment, and uh, and then they started to score, and it was over. But uh, but it uh, it was a frustrating, frustrating uh, night, of course. Yeah and then i got selected for a drug test after the game oh brilliant so i was uh I was sitting there this is i don't know what was happening there and i think it was uh yeah i don't know but i was i was selected after the league Cup final and after the FA Cup final so i was there both times and what sat there for hours not being able to go to the toilet it was horrible <laughs>
0: What was the um, overall mood of the team and the squad like um, after the kind of dust settled on on that season? Um, with with league reconstruction, obviously Aberdeen avoided having to be put into a relegation playoff round robin tournament. Did did, did Debbie kind of decide to try and look at the positives where we'd reached both cup finals and that we were heading back into Europe?
4: Yeah, but it was also a, a feeling in the squad that we. That we were better than uh, than what we had done in the league, uh, and uh, and you could say that we had we had played a few good cup games there that showed that we yeah that we could be much better. So I think everybody was was focused on that this was possible to do a, a much better next uh, next season. Absolutely. So it was uh, of course uh, it was a difficult and, and and disappointing night losing to Rangers and all that, but. I felt it was really good atmosphere when we started uh, when we started pre season and all that again.
2: And um, so you finished that ninety nine two thousand season as Aberdeen's top scorer um, with a pretty good return of twelve goals and thirty two appearances. W- were you pleased with that uh, in terms of a first season on a personal level? I know some athletes like to state what their goals are, others like to keep them to themselves. So just wondering if that you know if that's what you had had in your head when you signed for Aberdeen um, overall or if you exceeded your expectations?
4: I was, I was always dissatisfied when I didn't score a goal in a game. Uh, it was always like that. So the only times when I was really satisfied was when I had a return of one goal per game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a pretty high Pretty high goal to have, so uh, so uh, no, I wasn't uh, I wasn't quite happy with it, and I I wanted to to do better than uh, that. I mean, it was one of the uh, trainers who came to me and said uh, uh, who congratulated me when I came to double figures, uh, and I was I remember I was a bit like. Why? It's it's not it's not much. I mean, I so I I, I wanted to score more, and I felt like I could score more. Yeah,
1: Harold, I think we'd be doing a disservice to the listeners if we didn't ask this question. Um, offside. Yeah, you've kind of you kind of developed a reputation for it in your time at Aberdeen, to say the very least. Um, I think I've once upon a time tweeted the Ferguson quote about people in Zagi to you. On your birthday, for some reason, um, that kind of narrative of you as a player, in terms of being caught offside, a lot, was that something that's frustrating, or was it something that carried, like, stayed with you through your career?
4: Well, I, I always thought di- different on it, and I and I always thought that if you if you are afraid of going offside as a striker, you're not scoring, uh, you're not you're not scoring the goals where you break through, uh, and and I was I was okay fast but it was a lot of players that were faster than me so I needed my timing to be to be on top and uh, I always gambled on that and I and I, I, to be honest I didn't care if I was five times offside and uh, as long as I scored uh, one goal at that game I could yeah I would be happy I mean I was quite e- I was quite easy like that <laughs> to be satisfied with uh, my performances. it was I needed to to score a goal, and then I was uh, satisfied. And and uh, when you when you use Insagi as an example, I I played against him. Oh really? And this was yeah, and this was in um, after Aberdeen, so it was in Besiktas. Uh, we we uh, and we played a a friendly at, against Milan, and and uh, and they had. Inzaghi and Shevchenko on uh, on top uh, playing strikers, and that that was the best striking partnership I've seen. When it comes to movement, they were always moving, and they were always doing these cross runs where Insagi was going to front post and uh, Shevchenko was going to second post, and they were changing this, and they were they were in constant movement and always. Uh, Making problems for us, and I remember in Sagi he didn't score that goal uh, that game, but he was four or five times totally free in the in the in the box, and if the cross has been accurate, he would have scored three goals. So for me, he was fantastic, though he did go offside a bit. Also.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because you just hit on quite an interesting point that I was going to raise because I, I was a striker as well. And I remember when you were at Aberdeen, I was you know, playing, playing juvenile football and I, I spent a lot of time watching strikers, not necessarily watching the game, but watching. And I always thought it was really unfair the, the way that people tried to say that, oh, adult's always offside. Because I remember watching so many times that you were making phenomenal runs. If somebody had just picked the pass at the right time, you were through. And it, it, mm. it felt to me always that if you were playing in a better team at the time, you'd have probably scored double the goals you scored in that season.
4: Well, uh, thanks, but um, uh, it 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 is impo- it is easy to forget that you have to do a lot of runs to to get into that position. And as I said, when when I watched in that was the best I ever seen in uh, in that way. And uh, and it was like you always have to try to get in front of the defenders. And if the pass is a bit bit late, then then you are offside. You are stuck. But if the if everything is the timing is correct between you and the cross and the pass, then it's, then it's a goal. And it's yeah. a really small, really small differences uh, on this. And uh, yeah, and if you, a lot of people say that if you play, for example, on the right wing, then you should watch the whole line so you don't go in offside because, and there's a lot of criticism if you go uh, offside as a winger, for example. And this is, for me, just nonsense, because you have to watch the ball, gamble on the, the pass, the timing, and all that. And if the defender takes one step out or something like that, then you are offside. But you have to gamble and try to, because defenders are good, goalies are good, you have to try to beat them. And it's, uh, it's small, small margin there's always.
2: So we've had a look back through uh, season 99-2000, um, so opening up um, the next campaign, that campaign was tarnished by, uh, at the time unfortunately, the dawn's most humiliating exit from European competition, uh, with a defeat to Bohemians of Dublin, uh, 2-2 in aggregate, with Aberdeen exiting as a result of the Irish side's two away goals uh, at Pataudry. What went wrong that night, um, and what was the response of the manager?
4: This, this was a problem that I, I kind of recognised from also my time in Norway and Sweden and all that. It was that at that moment I don't think we felt and were good enough to challenge in Europe. So we were. It's, it's quite strange to say that, but when you are a team like Aberdeen was then and. And a couple of Norwegian teams that played in Europe also win. It's more important to win the league games because you know it's going to be difficult in Europe as well. And then suddenly, you can perhaps take down just a nudge from your normal approach to a league game, and then you play a Europe game and you play horrible. I've seen it. It has happened a couple of times in my career that we have. Really underperformed in in Europe because it's a different, it's a really different situation, different uh, tournament, and all that. And sometimes it just goes wrong, and it it's hard to say what it was, but it it went terribly wrong that uh, game. We were we were playing Laos but I, but I, but I don't think we really got got to the same. Uh, level of commitment that for example meeting rangers which came almost like free or natural you 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 you're meeting them you were on fire so we didn't get to that stage in that game and it's uh, it's 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 difficult and it's strange and it and it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be like that for professional footballers but you see it happen again and again
1: ignoring the bohemian result as we all just chose to do at that season. Um, on the whole, it was an improvement. You know, Aberdeen finished seventh in the league. There were some early exits in the Cups, but all in all, I think the fans could see the progress of the team. I think Eby had also started bringing in some of the kids, like McNaughton and yeah. the Young Brothers and like Phil Maguire. Um, yourself, personally, you finished that season with 17 goals in 35 appearances, um, including two tricks at Laudrey against Dundee United and Sitminen. Those hat tricks like hold any kind of special significance for you?
4: One of them really do, and this is a, this is a strange sh- story. But uh, if you you know the Norwegian author Jo Nesbø, have you heard of him? Yes. It? Yeah. Crime fiction author. His uh, his um, he also has a Norwegian pop group, uh, very popular in Norway. And his brother is, was uh, playing uh, guitar in that group, and I know I know I know Eunice quite well, and I also know his uh, brother really well. And uh, suddenly he texted me and said uh, that he wanted to come to uh, to Petodri to to watch the game. So I so he came over and I invited him home to me. So he he was uh, at my home the night before the game, and we were chatting and having a a dinner and uh, and talking about the game and I remember him him saying that uh, to me just can you promise me a hat trick and, <laughs> and, and I said and I said yes
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and a few years and a few years later he he reminded me of this because he was also uh, like a commentator on Norwegian television and uh, and he, he he always mentioned that story to me and sadly he passed away very young in uh, he had cancer and uh, and uh, he he passed away so i always remember him being on uh, at my house uh, visiting and and making that promise and keeping that promise it was just a a nice uh, thing actually yeah
1: good job good job um, also, finishing with 17 goals that season meant that you finished second overall in the SPL um, goal standings, second only to Henrik Larsson, who's arguably the greatest player ever played in the SPL. Um, how pleased were you with that? Did that that's like a real significant achievement for yourself.
4: I was m- I was much more pleased with a lot of performances and a lot of uh, games that season i had i had a back end injury that ruined uh, uh i was out for f- four or five games or something like that but also ruined uh, i played a couple of games they really bad so uh, I, I i think it was close I, I, if that back injury really didn't happen i think i would have gotten more than 20 so i was a bit irritated about uh, about that uh Catching Henrik Larsson for the title as top scorer that season would have been really difficult. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was fantastic and, and you have to remember that Henrik, he, he kind of went to Barcelona on his way down in his career. <laughs> he was just, uh, he was amazing and uh, at times in uh, playing in Scotland, I think he was one of the absolute top scorers in, uh, in the world. So he, he was fantastic.
1: I don't have his stats in front of me, but I'm just going to assume he scored loads. So,
4: yeah, but uh, if it's if you're if you're a kid and you're not that bothered with him playing in uh, in Celtic that you if that doesn't matter, and if you just have to study uh, a video, then you can see the the time he scored 50 goals. There is they made a video of him scoring 50 goals there and. Uh, just every kind of goal. I mean, it's like a study in how to finish with, uh, with your feet and head and everything. He was, was quite good.
2: Um, so at, at the end of that season, although there were still obviously some deficiencies and flaws in the team, it was pretty clear that the club was to, starting to improve uh, and there were some talented youngsters coming through the ranks, um, which spans are always nice to see. But at that point, had you already made up your mind that it was time to move on from Aberdeen?
4: No. I, I had an agent, as those most footballers do, who was uh, working in, uh, and looking for clubs from, from, for, from a whole career. So I, it was not anything special or anything there, but it, was, uh, it came an offer for me in the end of the summer there. And uh, before that, I mean, uh, the offer from Besiktas, I, I had, I think it was 24 hours to decide or something like that. So I had no idea when I went into pre-season that I was going to leave Aberdeen. But uh, as a striker, as a, as a ambitious footballer and all that, you, it's always tempting to see, try something new, to try something that is, even. Uh, Bigger and at that moment, uh, at that moment, uh, Besiktas was a really, really big club. Uh, They um, uh, they went they went uh, to the stock market that season and were their value was the same as Arsenal, and they had uh, I think they had 15 million fans in Turkey and all that. So it's it's in Turkey and it's a huge, huge club, and it was just something that was. It was really interesting, and to try, and I, I, I just decided I have to try this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna regret if I don't try it. it was my, was my final analysis of that. So, uh, but it, it was tough because I had, I had a really good time in Aberdeen, and I, I love the club, uh, the manager, the players, the, the fans, and all, all that sort. It was nothing that I had to leave, but it was just something that came up that was tough to turn down. Yeah,
0: I think I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there, Harold, as well. Um, obviously you were given quite a short period of time to make a decision about whether you're going to move or not. I think the way that the move was portrayed in Scotland was that no one at Aberdeen knew that you wanted to move and that you had travelled to Istanbul without anyone knowing. Um. And, and at the first that a lot of people knew about it was when it was announced by Bishitkas that you were signing for them. Were you kind of disappointed to learn that that was how it was being reported back in Scotland?
4: But it's it's the way it's the way football very often is. I mean, you you have to remember that it, it's impossible to plan a football career. It's impossible to say that okay, in in three years I'm going to get an offer from Belgium or something like that. It's it's impossible. You have to be able to move and to be able to to say yes or no on short 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 uh, trip uh, time frame if you want to move to to a club or or not. And it's in uh, in Besiktas, it was an offer. Say yes or yes or no. And I didn't meet the manager before I signed. I didn't, it was just like, and and, and they were afraid that my agent or myself should go to a, comp, a competing club like Fenerbahce or Galatasaray and say, here's the contract we've been offered. We, uh, You can beat that because this has happened before. So it was re- really tight. You had, I had to decide really quickly. And uh, it was no time to inform everybody it's just like take it or leave it and uh, that was the situation i was uh, i was put in and, and i always been i always been like loving adventures loving new experiences and and all that so it was like it was something i at that time t- thought that it was too tough to turn down and uh, and then uh, yeah so uh, that's it. but but a lot of times I changed clubs a few times and and I have to say that when moving from Sweden was easy because the team I played in there was almost like breaking up it was like uh, six or seven players of the of the ones who won the league were leaving and the manage the manager was leaving uh, he was t- taking Ebbe Skoda's old job in Denmark by the way okay so it was like it was just like it was no problem because you knew it was breaking up. They were going to build a new team, and it was it was okay. But it was much more emotional and difficult to to leave Aberdeen. And and I wish that it had happened in another way and all that. But it was it was just a, it was just the way football is. And a, and I think that if a player doesn't have that ambition to always think that it, okay, if a bigger club comes in that I should try that. If another bigger league comes in, you should try that. If you don't have that ambition and willingness to do it, you're probably not going to be that good. Uh, it's it's just a few players in the world who are stuck in the same club the whole, whole year. I mean, you have like Totti in Italy and Messi in Barcelona. And you have like a few, but they are in the biggest, biggest club to stay in in a smaller club and, and to get an offer and say no to that all the time. It's just very few people who can do that. And and as I said, at, at, at that time, it was just too interesting and too intriguing and, and all that to, to try it. So, yeah. I think you might have, you've probably sort of answered this a little bit for me, um, given that you've
2: explained, you know, why you made the decision and obviously the short period of time you had to make that decision. But when you look back, just purely on a professional level, ignoring... The fact that you got to experience, you know, sort of Turkey as a country to live in. But on a professional level, do you do you look back and wonder what if? Given that, um, obviously, you weren't there for that long, and Aberdeen had a reasonably successful season um, after you had left. It's difficult
4: to say what what would have been, what would have happened because during my time in Besiktas, I got uh, injured, uh, and I never, I, I never really fully recovered. Uh, so. That might have happened also in the same way in 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 Scotland. So it, uh, it could have been just a lucky draw for everybody. That I was <laughs> that I was away at that time because I was I was also I was getting I was 29 at that moment and I had no uh, no plans to retire. But actually, the right choice would have been to just retire there because uh, a few months later I was yeah. I was uh, injured, and I tried a couple of years to get back, but it, it was over. So, um, but that made me also like, in in retrospect, also miss somebody and 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 think what would have happened if I, I stayed. I thought about that a lot of times, but it's something you've really. are not. It's easy to say that you shouldn't do it, but it's it's something you do, and and it's it's not very. Uh, productive I mean it's uh, what's done is done and uh, and uh, regardless of that I really have a good spot for Aberdeen in in my in my heart so yeah no I think that's living your life looking looking back the way it's
2: not a good way to live it you sort of you live in the moment you make your choices based on what's available at the time and I think it was it was a good option to go and experience completely different culture never mind footballing style just you know living in Turkey I'm sure was quite quite
4: interesting based on what you've experienced to date i mean playing we, we, playing home games at Inonu stadium there for uh, close to 30,000 and it they make noise like it's uh, 200,000 i mean it's it's unbelievable the uh, a friend of mine is a norwegian um uh, television uh, uh, reporter and he he went through around the whole world watching the biggest games and he said it was it was Istanbul and Argentine. Those were the two absolute, absolute top, top when it comes to atmosphere and all that. So it was crazy. It was unbelievable. And uh, of course, I've, I wouldn't want to miss that experience to play at that, uh, at that stadium. It was fantastic.
1: Just going back to Aberdeen, Harold, obviously you've you've mentioned Ebi quite a lot. You worked exclusively under him at Aberdeen and from what you've been saying, it sounds like he was a guy that you had a lot of time for, held in like a really high regard. Unfortunately, we lost Ebby last October. What are your memories of working with him? You know, as fans on the outside, we hear the quotes and we hear about the eccentric behaviour. But as a man and as a manager, like what do you, what do you tell us about him?
4: He, he, was, uh, he was a character. I mean, he... Uh, he had his way. He was, like, really calm and and spoke. He had he had some sometimes trouble with uh, the English. to Like, he got stuck a bit in the language. And then uh, the players were laughing and all that. So he, he had a few situations like that. But he, he he was really... he's a tough, mentally tough guy. He wanted... Uh, and he built up a team in Denmark that was fantastic. I mean... Uh, Brunnby was uh, really, really successful and this was uh, a small small club that they built up and he came in and managed and made them champions and and all that so he he had been really successful and i and I knew of him from Scandinavia maybe in a different way than uh, a lot of the uh, British guys did who who had no recollection or or didn't know that Brumbie that well as as I did. So I had a lot of respect for him, and uh, and he, I felt that he always liked me as a player and as a person. We we got along really really well, and he, as I said in the beginning, he 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 played really at my strength. He wanted me to do what I could do, and not try to be a. Uh, a player that I, I couldn't be. So it was one of those managers who had, gave me freedom to play the way I wanted to to play. And he, I, I loved playing under him. He, he also made a few, which is also a big deal when you're a striker and wanting to score goals. He, he showed me how to score goals on corners at Auerdin. Uh, and he he made me do a special run on the second post and I think it was the first game after we tried that. I scored exactly on that uh, way, and and that is when you experience that as a player that the manager says something that you s- make you score a goal, then you are uh, on a way to to build a, a strong relationship. So I so I had a a really good rela- relationship and respect for uh, for him and. He was also funny, uh, and and the quote is uh, of course uh, legendary. When you were with Aberdeen, I was just wondering who your
2: your closest teammates were, uh, and actually, in particular, who was the best player
4: that you played with during those two seasons? I got along really well with a lot of uh, players. I would say I would say all of them. Uh, I had. Uh, I Had good relationship with with the Norwegian players as you as you mentioned and with the Scottish players also. I uh, like from from Derek White to Ian Jess, who was a really talented player, to to Robbie Winters and and I, yeah, I I had a good relationship with most of them too. Yeah, Andy Doe and Russell Anderson and. Uh, and Kevin McNaughton when he came up he was a, he, he was a fantastic uh, talent when he saw that he was going to be a good player so uh, no, I, I got along great with most players at the at the club and uh, and there were big big differences between how talented people were if I can say that, I mean, given the fact that it was forty-six players, you had some really good players, and I think like Ian Jess was a really good player, and then there was a f- couple of others who were at a different scale, a <laughs> part of that game, without mentioning too many names, yeah, m- making up the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it was a, it was a strange, strange. Uh, uh, place on the on the, on the training field sometimes because there was a big difference. I mean, most of the football clubs I've been in has been like more homogeneous groups. I mean, the difference between the best player and the, and the next or the worst player, if you can say that, was not so big as it was in. I think it was in Aberdeen. Yeah.
1: So Arald, you you leave the sector, I think you went to Germany for short spells. That right?
4: I played uh, for a few weeks on the Jurgen club actually in uh, he he uh, was at uh, his beginning of the career in, in Mainz. and i uh, came over but it was it was problems with uh, injury and all that so i ended up staying there for just a few weeks in the pre-season so it was uh, never uh, i never got to play for uh, to play regular games or official games for, for mine. So it was just a few weeks uh, training. And as I said, I never really fully recovered after that uh, injury in uh, in Turkey. So, yeah.
1: Yes, it would be pretty hard to say after like, a short space of time, but could you see what your what would go on to become?
4: No, at, at that time he was so new. I mean, he had just uh, finished uh, playing in and in the club had really big... Uh, hopes for him and uh, beliefs in him. But I, as I said, I trained there for a, like three weeks or something like that. And he 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 was straight in the beginning of his career. So I, I can't say that he... I, I wouldn't say that I knew straight away that he was going to be a champion of Europe and all that, no. So
1: after that, you then find your way back to Mulder, As you think you've mentioned, you tried to get over this injury, but clearly that was just something that wasn't going to happen. And you eventually retired at the end of the 2004 season, I believe. That's right, yeah. So then quickly on, you go into coaching uh, in the Norwegian second division um, with a team called, and I really wish my Norwegian girlfriend was here right now, Badham SK?
4: Yeah, that's right,
1: yeah. this stuff. And then very quickly, you then get the opportunity to take over at Mulder and two thousand six, and then eventually you moved on to Sky'd, uh where your coaching career to present day ended. Um, is this something you've ever thought about getting back involved in, or is that part of your past now? It's
4: it's a long it's a long story. I was I was manager there for four seasons, and it was two seasons that was uh, bad, and it was two seasons that was really good. So it was uh, uh, it was uh, an and, and a couple of situations there with selling of players that kind of ruined a couple of those seasons was that we had a good team and we we lost players and we didn't replace them and it was it kind of turned me off management at that moment because uh, uh, especially at, at Scheider we had i think we we had 69 points or 78 something like that we won the won the league got promoted and then five players just boof sold, and uh, we didn't have a team to to play with almost. So it that was tough as a young and ambitious manager as I was at, at that moment. And at the same time, I started to write. <laughs> so so it I kind of uh, went into uh, into writing much more than uh, than before and. Uh, and then uh, just left management at that moment. Yeah,
1: you mentioned there with the you had a good team. You get promoted, and then the five players are gone. Do you have like any say as the manager to like, say like, no, these guys, I need these guys, or is it just the board saying to you, the money's too good, they're it, gone? It
4: was no, it was no, nothing I could do to to stop it. It just. Um, it just, yeah, and and those players had great careers after, and they became really good players in in, in Norway. One is a national goalkeeper at the moment. So um, yeah, so uh, it was um, that was a tough thing because you felt kind of helpless uh, at that time, and and then I tried to rebuild, but it was it was hopeless. So um, that made me. And if that hadn't happened, if I could. Have kept working with the same team and the same players, I probably would be in the management for uh, much, much longer. But uh, it just, it kind of just uh, killed it for me, I would say, at that moment, yeah.
0: So you already touched upon it, Harold, but um, <clears throat> it's probably fair to say that you've had probably the most interesting career outside of football that I can think of for any former Aberdeen player. Um, obviously, you've gone on to become an author of a number of books, both fiction and non-fiction and a set of children's books as well. Um I think probably the best known of your of your works in Scotland is probably the the football crime hybrid novel um exposed at the back that came out in 2014 and it's still available on Amazon if anyone out there wants to pick up a copy. Um a question for you like nordic noir is remains all the rage um, in the United Kingdom. Has there ever been any talk for you about you know a a TV adaptation for example of something like Exposed at the Back?
4: Uh, There has been, there has been some mentioning of it but it hasn't happened. So uh, but but that would be a dream come true of course to to have that happening but uh, I also have um, uh, I also have written, as you said, the children's books and all that, and it's the same. there. I feel it could be something that could be really well turned into a television program or uh, or something like that. Of course, so uh, but that would be a dream come true. So uh, we'll see.
0: Have you had any uh, any opportunity yet for the the children's range to be translated?
4: Yeah, they're, but they're, currently they are tr- translated only in Scandinavia to Danish uh, and not in English at the at the moment, and that is. For me, that would also be a really good um, thing to happen because I, I, I see them as local but very international. <laughs> I mean, it's children playing football and uh, a lot of things are are happening to them that are like, uh, like I would say, yeah, universal. So uh, uh, hopefully, that also is, it, it has been. Touch and go a few times that it could happen, but uh, we'll see if it uh, if it might happen on a later stage. Yeah,
0: yeah, I hope so. Because I'd love to be able to put them on my son's uh, bookshelf. That'd be good.
4: <laughs> but that's that's
0: how old is he? Uh, he just turned four. Yes, so I think he's probably a bit young. I think you said, but um,
4: yeah, there you go. well yeah, it's uh, those books are from 9, 10, 11, round those age. So he's a bit uh, young, but you would be able to. explain it for him so but it's uh we'll see if that's possible someday he's four going on 14 so you know (laughs) (laughs) no but it's but it's i mean on a there's two things that has really really made me satisfied in in both my football career and in my writing career and that has been i remember one time at pitotry where it was um, an autograph uh, signing and i i remember i just sat there for an hour or something like that and just spoke to people and and signed off i came i came they had to come and get me because i was using too much time from the club because we were going training but i always loved that i mean to meet fans to meet uh young kids who were interested in football to sign the shirts and all that it was just a really really good uh, thing as a footballer and and it pisses me off if footballers doesn't that if they don't take time that is something I mean they should do and and it's it's important and I also felt a bit of the same when it comes to children's books because I've been uh, traveling to a lot of schools in Norway presenting them talking about uh, the books and football uh, and all that and and also the feedback you get from kids is really like they have read the books and they know the books and they like come with questions about it and and it's just fantastic to get that feedback, as it was also to meet fans with with football. So that that is for me some of the biggest memories, just with footballs, football and books. So uh, there are some similarities. Just wondering, um, Harold,
2: if if you've always been interested in writing, or if it's something you you sort of fell into as a post football career.
4: I. I always loved the writing also in school and all that I mean, it was the it was the easiest part of going to school was when we were writing Norwegian essays and all that it it always came easy for me and 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 I and I when I played football I, I think I was 22 or something like that when I started to write for a, a Norwegian newspaper and then i i wrote for different publications in uh, in norway like uh, children's comic books uh, comic um, uh, magazine and also it, it it just i was writing along as i was playing football and and also i always loved reading books i mean literature has always been important to me from a young age i uh, i remember i was really young started to read Henrik Ibsen's plays, which is uh, classics in Norway, of course. Uh, so, so literature always interested me, and I think I kind of like used it when I also when I played football to like have a diversion from football to have something else to think about to to focus on. So uh, for me, books was important, and then I and then I started, as I said, when I wrote for newspaper, wrote for websites and all that it it got bigger and bigger and I thought okay I want to try to write a a novel and I started to write my first novel living in Aberdeen actually and uh, but that took uh, that took like uh, six seven years before it was published so but the first ideas was uh, was starting in uh, in Aberdeen and then I took a break from it when I was manager uh, in the beginning there and then after that, I, I started to work really hard on
2: that. Yeah. So, is there anything that you're working on at the moment, or that's that's coming out shortly that we that, that we can look forward to?
4: I'm I'm currently I'm uh, I'm writing on a uh, a novel for uh, for grown-ups. So, uh, this uh, if everything goes as planned, it should be published in Norway next year. But. Uh, it's always uh, it's always difficult to say when it's always something that can go wrong and can delay stuff and all that but the plan is that it should be out either late late next spring or early fall after just after the summer next year so that's the that's the plan and hopefully I will uh, be finished uh, and, and uh, be finished this fall I hope we'll
2: see. I think the three of us wish you best of luck with that and if there's an English version, there's three sales. If not, I'll get a version and I'll tra- consult Google Translate. It might take me, it might take me a <laughs> week, bit, I'll get through it. Yeah,
4: it will, it will, it will, but uh, no, we'll we'll see. It's so difficult to say about uh, stuff like that, but uh, uh, I would really love for it to be translated into English and uh, and I would love to come to Aberdeen and promote the book. It would be great. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll get Matilda to read it to me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: uh, Harold I mean this has been great talking about your career both at Aberdeen out with Aberdeen your post football career final question Harold and we're going to ask everyone who appears on this show this very same question to close out and this is an interesting one for us because we're talking to you as a guy who came here from Norway via Sweden but you had two years in Aberdeen I think it's pretty fair to say that you left your mark uh, with the support and leave with a lot of good feeling. And the reason I say it's interesting is last week we spoke to Graham Hunter, um, a fanatical Aberdeen fan whose life has almost been defined by supporting Aberdeen. So with that being said, for you as someone who travelled through Aberdeen, what does the name Aberdeen Football Club mean to you?
4: It means a really, really good time in my career and uh, and life. Uh, it's uh, it's a place. It's a club where I only have positive memories from, and this is quite strange because I've been in a few clubs and it's been things that has not worked so well someplace, and it's been. It, but in Aberdeen, I. I generally only have good feelings for uh, for the club, and uh, my only regret is that we didn't win anything when I was uh, there, and that was uh, that would make it even uh, even better. But uh, Aberdeen is, I love the club, and it also reminds me a bit of where I'm from in Norway. From I'm from the west coast in in Norway, and kind of the Atlantic Ocean and all that remind me really really much about uh, about home
0: yeah Aral Stavrum on behalf of uh, Gavin Graham and myself thank you very much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast thank you for taking your time this evening it's been a pleasure
4: my pleasure to to be on and uh, have a great night
0: thank you stand free stand free And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week where we'll take a look back on the return tie with BK Hecken and we'll review our opening league fixture versus Dundee United. We'll also look forward to our first away trip of the league campaign at Livingston. And fingers crossed, we'll preview our qualifying round three tie of the Europa Conference League, where we'll rapidly require to pretend to be experts on Austrian or Icelandic football. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.